Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 8. And our sermon title is Christ in the Psalms. All will praise Jesus. This is the Lord's word. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the path of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We'd like to dismiss the children at this point for Children's Church. Today is the third sermon in our series of Christ in the Psalms. Believe it or not, the purpose of all of the Old Testament scriptures is for us to learn about who Jesus is. To learn about God's purposes so that when he reveals the Messiah in Christ, that we may all understand why Jesus has come. It is this knowledge that allows us to receive Jesus, not simply as a man or a prophet, but to receive him as our Savior the one who loves us, the one who forgives sins, the one who reigns over us. And as we look at Psalms, we see in Psalms that Jesus is actually referred to, shown in these beautiful works of poetry meant to bring worship and glory to God. We as God's people, when we read the Bible, we are not to read it in a very cursory manner, no. We as Christians who know the Lord, we read God's word deeply. For our thirst to know God is deep and unending. And the beauty of this is that Scripture provides for you and I, that which will quench our thirst. And so when we come to scriptures, we're not there just to read as quickly as we can. We're not there to read just to find some application as quickly as we can. We don't read simply to see how this refers to me and my situation as quickly as we can but we stop and we read deeply for we want to know the mind of God and what God is revealing to us. And so in many ways, this sermon series from Christ in the Psalms 
is doing a deeper dive into scripture. For us to see that the Psalms is written for the church, to encourage the church, to encourage those who know Jesus. Yes, the world can use it for their purposes. I know some of you will be graduating tomorrow, going to graduation. There are many graduations that will use scripture, but in a very cursory manner. We have other religious traditions that use the Old Testament as well. But their interpretation leads to a, a desire to see a Messiah to come. But for us, the church, the purpose for us is to be encouraged to know that everything points to Jesus. Some of you actually might like epic literature. Perhaps the Lord of the Rings series. Perhaps Harry Potter. I've only gotten through the first two books of Harry Potter myself. Only the first four or five movies. But I'm told by people who love Harry Potter or people who love the Lord of the Rings that the joy isn't simply going through it once, but it's going through it again and again. To find all the missed clues, to find how the writer reveals slowly Harry Potter's fate, to see how everything sort of binds together, and to see Harry or the fellowship in the Lord of the Rings achieve what they were meant to achieve. But it's not mechanical, A, B, and C. It's an organic story. And it's what makes it rich and meaningful. And the themes of friendship it makes it true. Christian, when you read the Old Testament, do likewise. Find the riches of God's glory revealed in Jesus and how Jesus impacts the growth of the church and how you belong to that church and how that glory of God's kingdom revealing itself in us all works together through redemptive history through the saving history that you and I are a part of. This is why Christ in the Psalms, looking and seeing Jesus revealed, why the Bible itself encourages the believer day in and day out. Now as we get to Psalm 8, we, we have to do a little bit of background before we get to this text itself. Remember, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are the introduction to the Psalter. Psalm 1 through Psalm 150. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 basically talks about the fact that Jesus himself, well, there's a need for wisdom and there's a need for a king. 
The Psalms, in a sense, is, is, is a royal psalm. And the question is, is, who has wisdom and who will rule? We see from Psalm 1 that the wisdom that we're looking for is those who will draw near to God. That our wisdom needs to be, in a sense, our closeness to God, but also to put at arm's length those who would, well, lead us astray. And we find that no matter where we look for wisdom, that the only person that reveals true wisdom to us is Christ himself. That wisdom isn't a set of aphorisms, but wisdom is a person that we walk with. That wisdom isn't a roadmap, but wisdom is someone you, you do that road trip with of life in Jesus himself. But Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 also talks about the fact that there needs to be a king who will rule. And we know that it is King David who wrote these psalms, inspired by the Lord. And the question is, is who will be that perfect king who will rule over all of the earth in such a way with justice and mercy? Who will be able to make all the right decisions at all the right times? for all the peoples of the world? And the answer was that God has to provide this king. God has to provide this anointed one. God has to provide this king in the line of David. When we look at the Psalms before Psalm 8, we see that these are sort of cries of help from King David himself. Most likely, most of the Psalms in Psalm 3 and Psalm 7 is when David was running away from his son Absalom who was trying to kill him, hiding in the mountains and crying out to the Lord, Lord, I am suffering. I am being pursued. I am being persecuted. Where are you? And here we see the cry of, of a king. Something not found in many places of literature. But a king writing his sorrows. Not a king writing about how he's going to take revenge or how he's going to usher up his army or a king about how he's going to try to make uh, allies, but a king who is suffering. And the Psalms immediately after Psalm 8, you, you see that it's the people together, not only King David, but it's just all of the people of God singing together in Psalms and, and speaking about their own sufferings and persecution, being oppressed by other governments, being oppressed by people who don't know their God. And Psalm 8 sits in the middle of that. this messianic psalm. We see that the psalms are written by a king, wondering himself, King David, when will God's perfect kingdom come? We see a king writing psalms about being persecuted and suffering for himself. And we, we see him writing psalms for his people, 
about their persecution and suffering as well. And in the midst of it, we find this jewel, Psalm 8, in which our king, King David, is able to, in the midst of it all, give praise to God himself. Verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And he's, he ends it the same way in verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The psalm teaches us that even in the midst of our persecution and suffering, there is a way that we can render praise unto God for who he is and what he has accomplished. Verse 3 talks about the fact that the reader of this psalm, the one who uses this psalm in praise, can simply refer to all of creation. And by looking and thinking deeply about creation, be able to see God's glory and give praise unto him. There's a reason why when education first started in the United States, when we had these institutions like Princeton, Harvard, and Yale, and Dartmouth, that these were Christian institutions. And these Christian institutions sought to use natural theology or sought to simply observe what's happening in the world, observe how God has made it in order to bring glory to God. For in all things, they saw God's glory being revealed. And they would worship him. For they knew that everything that they found was made by God and deserved his glory. He goes on to say here that not only is it the created world that is around us, but he can also give glory in the way that he's made human beings, you and I. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? That for us to be made in God's image, we see not a product of chance, but we see that they were made in God's image, longing for relationship, longing for love, longing for purpose, longing for meaning. We are not machines, brothers and sisters. And as we think and gaze upon all of our creation, as we gaze upon our, even our own souls and the souls of the people around us, we cannot help but say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. For you have brought about glory in all of your creation. 
Now, here's the interesting thing. Who is it that is able to say these words and able to say these words well? You know, I remember when I was first working here in Atlanta, Georgia, and working, and most, a lot of you were college students back at that day. And there were very, a lot of famous people that were sort of dabbling in Christianity. I remember there was this one famous Korean producer who had this interview about his religious beliefs, a music producer. Uh, I remember these pop singers in, in, in the States as well, when pop music used to be good in the U.S., um, doing interviews about their faith as well. And the conversation went something like this. Could you imagine if this Korean pop producer became a Christian? The influence he would have in all of East Asia to bring about the gospel? Perhaps your parents will think this way as well. It's like, you know, my parents said this to me, and I think a lot of kids my age heard this a lot. It's like, young, get your PhD. Become a famous professor. Go and teach abroad during your sabbatical and preach the gospel then. Have a name for yourself. Have a good name for yourself. Become someone of influence someone of power. And when you do so, then you'll have a place to talk about the gospel. But when we read Psalm 8, and we, when we read in Matthew Matthew 21, how Jesus uses Psalm 8. We see that everything is backwards. That the words of Scripture, the words of praise to the Lord, the words of hope do not come out of the mouths of those who are successful in this world and who deem success and standing as the grounds upon which they can preach and teach the gospel. But it is out of the mouths of babes and infants that the Lord has established strength or a stronghold by which the gospel comes out. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 12 through 17, this is where Jesus goes and clears the temple. And after he clears the temple, the blind and the lame come and he heals them. And the children come as well, crying out to the Lord. But the chief priests and the scribes came and they were like, what, what is going on? This is a cacophony. This is, this is unruly. This is an anathema to the Lord. And Jesus quotes Psalm 8. Jesus says to them, yes, but have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? This psalm does not belong to the strong or to the wise of this age. 
this psalm belongs to those of us who are weak, persecuted, and lost. We are the ones who look in the mirror. And for some of you, by the world standards, you are successful. But when you look in the mirror, you see weakness, sin. You see a person in need of grace, forgiveness, righteousness, and hope. Now I dare say most of us who live in this age, many of us never think we measure up to anything. We can thank social media for all of that. It is in your weakness. It is in your babbling that the Lord meets you. It is in your weakness that you're able to praise God and sing praises unto Him. We live in a world where legalism still reigns. In our Asian communities, we still live by our expectations we have from our parents, from our culture, from the people around us. Our parents say they have grace and mercy, but there's always a caveat behind that grace and mercy. And I find myself doing this too to my son and my, my daughter as well. And I could say to them, listen, you know, it's okay that you didn't do well here, but you need to study more. <laughs> and they feel it and they can sense it. Even if I try to be as gracious as I can, it's still a part of who I am and perhaps a part of who all of you are as well. But the Lord only comes to those who are meek and humble of heart. The Lord comes to those who are poor in spirit. And the Lord reveals himself to those who understand that from dust I came, from dust I will return. From those who understand that you are like that broken reed that's about to be snapped, but the Lord is having grace and mercy. Here at CCPC and in the churches that we come from, the encouragement to us is this. We don't need to arrive anywhere to receive God's grace, and we don't need to, to arrive anywhere to give Him praise, and we don't need to arrive anywhere to labor for His gospel. 
You are in his grace now. Now. Receive his grace and love. Now. Sing praises to him. Now. You don't need to arrive anywhere. You don't need to change. Now. Share the good news of Jesus with your brothers and sisters and the people around you. Now. For the mercies of the Lord have come upon you. This psalm is also a messianic psalm. In verse 5, 4 and 5, where the psalmist talks, where David, King David talks about what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. The writer of Hebrews refers to this showing us that this is not simply about humanity as a whole, but about Jesus himself. That Jesus himself is that perfect man that God has made and has made. It is under Jesus' feet, not simply as the son of God, but also as the son of man, not simply as a divine, divine person, but as a fully human person as well, that all dominion has been given to Jesus. And we see that this song of psalm of praise is a psalm from God giving glory to his son Jesus himself. And for us to understand and to see that Jesus is the king in, this, in the perfect fashion of a fully God, fully divine, and a fully human person, deity, at the right hand of God with all dominion and power. And that you and I, because Jesus has restored fully our humanity. Let me say this. This is so important in the, in the Christian religion. No other religion says this. Is that God has fully restored humanity by becoming fully human himself. And that you, by God's spirit, share in that fullness. So in your weakness, brothers and sisters, Don't look to what you are now. Look to your union with Christ and see what Christ is fully as a human at the right hand of God. For his inheritance and his joy in his humanity will be yours as well. I'd be remiss if I didn't address the Emory students a little bit here. I know tomorrow's graduation, and I know that you'll hear a wonderful graduation message from, I think it's just Tyler Perry still coming to your graduation. I've never seen any of his movies, but uh, 
I just want to share this with you in view of Psalm 8. Don't labor simply for the things of this world, for the sake of the things of this world. It is right to labor well in the gifts that the Lord has given you. But do so with all humility. Do so knowing that whatever you have accomplished is fully by God's grace. Providentially, he's allowed you to grow up in the 21st century. Providentially, he's allowed you to have parents who have good genes passed on to you. Providentially, you were able to study what you wanted to study. Providentially, you're able to work where you're going to work. Providentially, God give you the health that you have. Providentially, all has been given to you. Be thankful for the things that are out there. But be most thankful that you belong to Christ. For one day, that'll all be gone. It's how you've used those things. Held them lightly in your hands and offer them to the Lord to use. Thank you, Emory students, especially those who are graduating for, um, for Ben and Harry, um, the grace that God has given you. Continue to labor well. Time goes fast. Let each moment be a moment where you give grace, where you give glory and grace to the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, it is not the strong that you have called to yourself. It's the, it's the meek. For it is the meek that you say that will inherit the earth. Father, we confess that we often believe and think that we need to give according to what we have. That we need to have strength we need to have some sort of resume in order to serve you, to serve your church, to serve people well. And Lord, we understand this because that's just what life tells us. But Lord, your gospel is contrary. You call to yourself all that are weak, those who do not have your lives together, those who are confused. And you give them salvation. You give them hope. So Lord, help us here in this room to grasp with our two hands the hope in Christ that we have. And teach us, Lord, to sing praises to you, Lord God, in the midst of our want, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our confusion. For we know, Lord, as the psalmist says, Lord God, that all honor and glory belong to you. 
And so, Lord, help us, Lord Jesus. As we continue our service, as we sing songs to you, may you be pleased. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.